Hi, this is Laura with Kick-Ass in Life, where I help you get hired fast, be smart with money, and be a happier and healthier you. Peggy Kim is an award-winning journalist and media powerhouse. From starting as an overnight news desk assistant, she now runs her own content studio and network and nonprofit. The thing that separates those who I would hire and those who I wouldn't hire, it's the difference of the attitude. So it's really, does this person take seriously and approach with excellence the small things because when you're when you do those small things with excellence you can be entrusted with the bigger things. Peggy has major advice for getting started, how to take risks, and how to hustle. Here we go. So you are the founder and president of iStand TV and iStand Media and I'd love to hear a little bit more about about that. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This is um, a lot of fun and it was so great to meet you too. So I'm glad that we were having this chance to have a follow-up conversation. Um, I Stand TV is a, uh, is a content studio and a mobile online platform. And we're all about putting out uh, smart, edifying entertainment and informational content for uh, young people, 18 to 24. And we're also at a pivotal moment um, at this point in the company, and we're going to be relaunching um, the platform in the coming months. And it will be more of a content incubator, online film festival um, type of format. So think film festival meets Dancing with the Stars, because we're going to include a very robust um, social media and audience participation um, component. To the platform. Amazing. And you had a very storied career throughout media. History Channel, Alloy, everywhere media has been, you have been there, it seems like. And what has, what drew you to media? Like, how did you find yourself on that media path? You know, I started out in news and um, I had always wanted to be in broadcasting. And uh, my father actually was a journalist, he was a print journalist for the Korea Times chief foreign correspondent, and he traveled all over the world. And um, wherever he went, he would send each of uh, each of us, our family, uh, postcards from those places. And um, with the most amazing uh, photographs, scenes of life in those countries, and I still have all of those postcards. And those were my most treasured um uh, mementos. And um, I always wanted to be a journalist like my dad, but I just loved television and the medium of television. And so um, my goal and my initial, you know, real dream was to be in broadcast news and be like the next Connie Chung at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I love that. Yeah. So I did go into broadcast news and I learned a lot. I loved it. And uh, my first job was actually at ABC News. And so I was there for three years. And in that third year, um, I got more exposed to long form programming and documentaries that ABC News Productions, which was a new unit at the time, was starting to do. And I loved Loved, loved, loved um, that experience because we were able to go deeper into a story rather than just do those three-minute news pieces. And I loved the idea of going in-depth into um, subject areas. And, um, you know, that was really the beginning of my documentary filmmaking and producing career. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And so just speaking about that first that first job at ABC, how did you get it and what and obviously those jobs are hard to get. What what made you stand apart to get that job? Uh, I would say it was absolute sheer persistence and resourcefulness because I did not know anybody in the business when I um, was in college. My school, uh, Williams College, which was a which is a liberal arts college, one of the top colleges in the in the country, we did not have any kind of media communications or film program, and so. Um, I, you know, I came out of there as a political science major and, you know, I didn't know anybody in the business. And so what I did was I reached out to the alumni network of Williams College and tracked people down. Uh, We had several alumni in different media organizations, NPR, I remember, um, CBS News in, in New York and some other places. And so I wrote letters to them. And they were so kind and they wrote letters back to me. They gave me some good tips and they also gave me the names of people to um, write to. And so I would take those uh, names and addresses and I was writing for five, five months after graduation. I was writing to them every two weeks. So ABC, NBC, CBS, writing to them or calling them, um, alternating with letters and phone calls every two weeks. And so um, about five months into it, and I was working at the time as an intern at the UN, um, all three networks got back to me. And when when the uh, job at ABC News became uh, available, I knew that that's where I wanted to be because at the time they were at the top of their game. And um, I I was an avid ABC News watcher of all of the three networks. And so when I finally got that job, it was an overnight news desk assistant position. So my my uh, I was doing the graveyard shift 12 midnight until 8, 9, 10 in the morning. And that's how I cut my teeth in the business. And that is the definition of hustle. So good for you. And obviously it paid off because you're the kind of person who will not only persist, you know, put put the effort forth to to get noticed, but you'll take take that graveyard shift so you can show how hard you worked, um, which I think is really great. And how did you get um, your employers to notice you when you were doing that graveyard shift? Um, you know, honestly, it was a rude awakening because my very first day, um, on the job here, I, here I am, I got my dream job, dream job at my dream company and I was in desk assistant and I had like these ideas of, of grandeur and glory. Um, like I had made it somehow (laughs) my job. My job was to get the coffee, make the copies and pick up the phone and and run around the newsroom getting whatever the uh, desk editors needed. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is not what I signed up for. I'm like a glorified secretary. And I went to a top liberal arts college. Doors should be swinging open for me. And this isn't journalism. And I came home from that first day at work. Um, completely um, like wide-eyed, and I said to my dad, "I was like, hey, I, Appa, I can't, I can't do this job." And he said, "Why not?" And I said, "Because I'm going to go brain dead. You know, I'm not doing journalism. I'm just like a secretary." Mm-hmm. And he said to me, "Listen, you need to 
lay your foundation brick by brick. You're not going to just overnight become a journalist. Um, you don't jump two rungs on a ladder. You have to you have to pay your dues. You lay your bricks down brick by brick, and um, you do the job. You need to be there for three years, and you need to build your foundation. And I was like, at that point, you know, you're 21 years old, and you think three years is forever. And I couldn't yeah. believe, you know, I was like, three years, I can't even make it through, you know, another day. And, um, you know, but of course, you know, I listened to my dad and um, I ended up being there for three years and I worked my butt off. I never, ever called in sick that entire time, that entire time. And so, you know, whenever somebody else was sick, I said, please, you know, call me because I was so hungry to learn. Yeah. And I was willing to pay my dues. So, you know, I would do six days straight, seven days straight, sometimes 10 days straight, which was golden time. Um, because even as a desk assistant, you had to, be, you were a part of a union. And so golden time made, you know, you made way more money if you did that. And yeah. so, you know, I think my starting salary was $17,000. And with all of the overtime that I put in that first year, I doubled it to $32,000 or something like that. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, what distinguished me was I was willing to work my butt off. And um, I think it was really my attitude. I, you know, after that first day, and it wasn't that I you know, showed a bad attitude on my first day, but it was the attitude in my own head. I had a real attitude right. change in my in myself where I was like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, despise these small beginnings. And no matter no matter how menial the task might seem, I'm just gonna do my absolute best. No matter how how yeah. lowly it may seem to my it may seem to me in my own head or to maybe even an outsider. But I'm just going to do my utmost. If my job is to, you know, make copies, I'm going to make sure those copies are the cleanest, most beautifully made copies anyone has ever seen. So it was really approaching every piece of my work with excellence and an attitude of excellence. And that's when people really started to to notice um, and give me more opportunities and open more doors for me. Yeah, I think that's such good advice, especially those just getting started, because things are not handed to you. You have to prove that you're worthy of those things. And the only reason that you're able to do that is by putting in the work and showing you're capable of, you know, just doing all of the things, whether it be making copies and doing it and spelling everything right and, and doing that small detailed work, but actually ultimately is so important. Um, and I think that's a good reminder because I think many grads are graduating now expecting, well, their first their first job to be their dream job. And that's never the case because you have to put in the work and, and learn and to even know what your dream job it, it will yeah. be. Um, it's really, it's uh, ultimately, so I think that's really, thank you. it's really, it's ultimately attitude. You know, you hire for attitude where, and where I'm at now, where I'm working with a lot of um, young, amazing young talent. Um, the thing that separates those who I would hire and those who I wouldn't hire, um, it's, it's the difference of the attitude, you know? So it's really, does this person take seriously and approach with excellence 
the small things because when you're when you do those small things with excellence you can be entrusted with the bigger things you know yeah i think that's excellent um and how how did you kind of find yourself on the path you you said you were interested you started in hard news and you're interested in sort of this long longer form documentary storytelling how did you find find that path um and then also how did you find yourself on this path of entrepreneurship and creating your own business yeah so those are like two very different stages of my life um the documentary piece and doing the long form that kind of just happened while i was at abc news it wasn't like i had this intention to go into longer form it was there was an opportunity and so, you know, interestingly, in my first, in my three years at ABC News, I had kind of worked my way up from overnight news desk to daytime foreign desk. Then, you know, I was working Wednesday through Sunday. That was my work week. And I was doing four to 12 on Wednesday through Friday. And then I was working weekend news, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll just touch on this a little bit. Working Saturday, Sunday, some people would be like, oh, that's what a bummer. But it was great because that Saturday and Sunday, you, I got so much more, um, so many more opportunities working on the weekend news desk. I went out and I, I interviewed um, my first head of state. I was wow. at 21, <laughs> still a desk assistant Amazing. on the weekend news desk. I interviewed uh, Franjo Tujman, who was the president of Croatia at the time. And this was when um, the, Yugo the Yugoslav crisis was happening in, back in 92. And so I got so many crazy opportunities just because I was willing to put in the hours nobody else wanted to put in. But, That's great. Um, but one of the things that was also happening for me was I wasn't, the type of person, I've never been the type of person to play, um, I don't know, to kiss ass or anything like that. Yeah. It's just not my, not my style. Um, so since I, you know, I wasn't the type also to go out drinking and, and smoking and whatever, that's just not who I am. And so I think that also prevented me from moving up faster than some other people. Um, and I would never change, um, you know, my my uh, values or principles just to get ahead. I've never done that, actually. Um, but it did. I think it did kind of slow me down because there were other desk assistants that would come in after me, and I would actually be the one training them. And then they were they were promoted faster than I was. Mm -hmm. So how I got into the long form programming was there was a new unit that ABC News was going to start, and it was called ABC News um, Special Productions. And then eventually that changed to just ABC News Productions. And that was kind of turned into a production comp internal production company that was also not only doing um, producing programming for the network, but also for other networks like the History Channel and, and Food Network and such. Um, but they started this new unit. And I went to the executive producer and I said, you know, I'd really like to, um, you know, move into this new unit. And so he was like, okay, but here's the thing, you'd have to give up your benefits because we're only taking freelancers. 
So I said, that's fine. Um, so I gave up my benefits. I gave up, you know, being a part of the union to be a part of the new unit. And, um, so I wasn't even making the same amount <laughs> as I was doing wow, all of yeah. the golden time and whatever, but I looked at it as an opportunity to learn something new and also have a higher, higher title. So instead of desk assistant, I was now a predict, uh, production associate. So, you know, there was some, I compromised my health benefits um, to get a higher title and to um, get more experience. And so that's how I got into long form programming. And then I found out I really, really enjoyed it. That's so cool. And how did you go through that decision of being like, okay, I'm going to give up my benefits. I'm going to give up what I know and kind of go into this unknown. Like what was going through your head and what were some things that you like asked yourself in order to make a decision like that? Because I think a lot of people are at that pivot and maybe like, well, I could go this way or this way, but I feel secure now. I'm not totally sure what that other option will present. So how did, how did you make that decision? I think I was blessed with good health, so I never went to the doctor. So I didn't really value the health benefits <laughs> as, as much yeah. as other people would, maybe. So I was like, whatever, health benefits. I don't even, I don't even really go to the doctor. So fine, I'll give that up. I, I just want more opportunity. I want to keep learning, and so really, that's been the motivation for everything um, throughout my career. And that's actually, you know, a great um, segue into the second part of your question about entrepreneurship and why I started my entrepreneurial journey. And again, that was me really wanting to learn and to grow and not to get comfortable. Um, Because I think being comfortable is great. And I miss being comfortable. I've been uncomfortable for a really long time now yeah. as, as an entrepreneur. Um, but you know, the greater the greater thing for me is to be constantly learning. And um, I actually started my entrepreneurial journey probably I would say ten years ago now. I had left my last real full time long term gig at the History Channel. And I, at that time, I was very, very successful. I had had um, multiple awards, the Peabody, multiple Emmys and Emmy nominations and and many other awards that I'd received for my work. I'd gotten critical acclaim for my work. I was well-respected amongst my peers. And I loved what I was doing, but it got to a point where I was kind of maxed out. I was burnt out for one because I had, I'd been working nonstop and I would take work home. Um, so there was a level of being burnt out. And then I felt like I had maxed out at the company. Like unless I was going to be promoted, um, there was, you know, it was pretty much I had learned as much as I was going to learn at that point there. And so um, I ended up leaving and um, cut a long story short because I could make the the long story even longer, but I'll try to just cut to the chase. Um, I, my plan was to take a year off and rejuvenate and um, recharge my batteries because I really was truly burnt out. And then um, what happened immediately, pretty immediately after I left history was, uh, you know, my my dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Wow. 
And so I was, you know, because I wasn't in a full-time job, I was able to be there for him and for my mom and, and family and, um, you know, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And so I, I am also a person of faith and I, you know, and, the, and I believe that, you know, God had me in this position and positioned me for this, for such a time as, for such a time as that was. And then my dad passed away three months after diagnosis. So what happened after that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was interesting because I was now more burnt out than I was just sure. being yeah. not burnt out. And a few months after my dad passed away, I started getting these phone calls from producers who had tracked me down at home. I had ne- these are producers I hadn't even personally worked with, but had also but had worked with my colleagues at History Channel, and they just tracked me down and. Um, they said, you know, we really want to work with you. You know, you, you have to understand that the you know, production world is actually quite small and you have a reputation for as someone who does high quality work, who uh, respects producers and um, is a person of, of real integrity and we would love to work with you. So I was like, I was so um, surprised and um so, you know, heartwarmed by their, by these phone calls that I was getting. And I was like, okay, so what does this mean? Because they, each of these companies can't afford to, you know, hire me as a full-time person, but what can I, what can I provide to them as a service? What is that value that I could provide to them? And how do I, and then figure out how do I charge them for it? And so that's when I created my, my first company, which still exists. It's called MGK Media. And that's the shingle for all of my independent contract work, my consulting work, um, and, and, uh, production work. And so, um, I helped educate and provide intelligence to uh, these production companies and producers about how it works on the other side from a network programming perspective. Um, And then what kinds of um, programs are sellable and viable and what do they need um, in their pitch um, materials in order to, you know, uh, successfully pitch a network. And so, that's really how MGK Media started. And then the flip side of this also, you know, when I was at the History Channel, I had never really talked to uh, my counterparts at our competitor networks. And frankly, I didn't even know who they were just because I was so busy just doing my job. And after I left the network, um, I started um, just reaching out to them or having, you know, production companies, um, close friends at the production companies were reaching out um, to, to the other networks on my behalf. And, you know, I was so surprised because I would send an email or they would send an email on my behalf. And then like 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, I'd get a response back. Um, from them. And I'm like, wow, I mean, who am I that they would, you know, respond so quickly? And um, they, you know, they knew my work. 
But, you know, that's kind of like how isolated you are sometimes when you're at a major media corporation. You're so busy just doing your job and you don't lift your head up and you don't see what's happening around you. And so, you know, when I went and had those meetings with um, former competitor networks, you know, I kind of shared with them the idea of, um, you know, for NGK Media to be kind of a conduit and, um you know, go between between for these other production companies, and they love the idea too because they're like, you know, you've been on our side of the desk, you know, yeah. what works, what doesn't work, what's sellable and not, and so we'll, you know, we trust that you know, um, not you know, you know what's not going to waste our time. So we'll share with you what you know what we're looking for, and then you can go back and you know, you'll be providing us a service by doing that. So. That's how my first company started. Um, but it's always been about how do I learn? How do I iterate? How do I continually evolve? Um, and how do I think ahead as opposed to getting comfortable? Because it's easy to get comfortable. And like I said, it's, you know, I've been uncomfortable for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such good advice, especially to those just getting started um, in terms of you know, just trying to build that career and knowing what is the right move to make. And it's sometimes just like being willing to get started and just learn as much as you can and 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 putting the work in and being open to opportunities. Yeah. And making sacrifices. It's a sacrifice, you know. So you're not, you know, you're not going to make the same kind of salary right away that you left before. Um but you're, you know, I think also in the time that we're at right now in the industry where there's so much consolidation, um, and I see a lot of my colleagues and older colleagues um, who are being squeezed out because of those consolidations. And, you know, how do you future proof your careers as much as possible? And the only way to do that is by constantly learning and being constantly engaged so that you're not getting comfortable. You know, you want to keep providing value to your companies. And so how do you do that? Um, you're not going to be able to do that without, you know, without constantly learning, without, you know, building those relationships also with the next generations coming up behind us. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say it's a you have to be so hungry to learn all the time. Yeah, I think that's excellent. And also, you know, learning at your own company. So what are those things that you can do to sort of go above and beyond and work on side projects for your own company to help them, you know, further goals, whether it be, you know, who knows, creating a podcast or, or doing something that is a little outside your lane, but you're still doing your job, um, any way that, you know, could further a business goal of theirs. But then beyond that, to maybe look at a side hustle or another way to sort of learn and use your skills and, so you're you're putting yourself in a place where you're constantly learning and and loving loving to like dive into something new. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in your first few years of your career, what are some either I don't know mistakes you've made that you wish you could go back and change or uh advice that you'd have for pitfalls to avoid? I can't really think of any mistakes. Um what I wish that I had was um, mentors. I wish I had somebody to help me navigate through my career so that I could um, 
move a little faster and move up higher faster. Um, that's what I wish I had. I don't, I, that's not a mistake per se, but I wish that I had that. And so even in that um, and everything that I've uh, so far shared with you is really what has led me to also start this nonprofit organization called Future Now Media Foundation. Um, it's a 501c3. I just recently founded it um, a year ago. And it came out of um, producing this conference under iStand TV last year called the Future Now Media and Entertainment Conference. And that conference is really about bringing together college and university students who are passionate about pursuing careers in the media and entertainment industry together with our top leaders, executives, and professionals, and giving that opportunity to connect. Um, and I did that because I want students um, to not have to struggle as much as I did in, in order to break in. So, you know, the New York market, we are, you know, the media capital of the world. But, and if you're in New York, you have a better chance of breaking into the business. Um, the best chance is if you actually know somebody who could vouch for you and then make introductions, right? But if you're not from New York, if you're not based here, if say you're in Kentucky or Virginia or somewhere in the Midwest, it's harder for you to break in. So, you know, that also impacts our recruiting ability in our industry, right? So, you know, we've seen, you know, the the articles and the stories um, about the lack of diversity on screen, um, the Oscar saying, hey, why, you know, why aren't these um, actors of color being recognized for their work and et right. cetera? And so that is a problem. Um, so I'm like, okay, if how do we solve that problem? How can I help be part of the solution right. for solving that problem? And, you know, this whole idea of diversity on screen, we will never achieve true diversity on screen without having true diversity behind the scenes in leadership positions and in those positions of, um, of the business decision makers. And for example, you know, um, I was uh, the only, um, you know, person of color um, executive um, in programming. And so, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm bringing my perspective and, 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 uh, knowledge and experience to the table, but we need more people in programming. We need more people who are making in ad sales and making those kinds of decisions. And so the Future Now Media Foundation is a leadership incubator and it's about building future leaders now. And it's also, and it's trying to um, meet those um, challenges of recruiting more diverse, prepared, prepared, diverse candidates. And so for the conference, we cast a very wide net. And so we got students from all over the country. Um, they were coming from every socioeconomic background, every racial ethnic background. And um, there was diversity in terms of geography too. You know, so, you know, somebody from New York is going to have a different perspective than somebody in the Bible Belt, right? Or the Midwest yeah. or the West. So how do we bring all of these people together? How do we help bridge some of these gaps um, 
Yeah. Especially today when we're so polarized as a nation and as a society, my goal is to bring people together. Um, so that's the work of the Future Now Media Foundation. And so this conference, we did it last year. We did it under iStand TV. There was a lot of traction. There was a lot of interest and amazing results. And so we did it again this past year in May. Um, and, you know, I, I created the nonprofit entity to um, make this a much bigger and broader work. Well, congratulations on that. And I think that sounds incredible. As somebody from Kansas who who made the move to New York, but only because, you know, I was so driven to be here, um, mm. you know, I think opportunities like that do offer diverse voices. And I'm, um, you know, excited to, to see the, the results of that and the conference. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's about giving access, right? E- yeah. Accessing equal opportunity. That's great. So. And as somebody who is, you know, running your own, running your own business, running your own nonprofit, how do you take time for yourself? What are, what are a couple tips you have to, for self-care? <laughs> That's a, Good question, and I'm still trying to figure that piece of it out. <laughs> Life of an entrepreneur. I mean, some people do it so well. Um, I need to work on the self-care, to be honest. Um, one of the things that are, has always been my has been my outlet from the from the beginning of my career. It's just kind of happened on a parallel track. Is uh, singing in, in choir. I am part of um, the Times Square Church Choir here in New York City. And, um, you know, from the time that I started my first job at ABC News till now, um, I've been a member of of this church congregation and also um, in the choir for the last 23 years. I started in the choir in 95, January. Oh, wow. And so that has been my my greatest joy and my biggest outlet. and it's also been a big time commitment. But in terms yeah. of self-care, I need to I, I honestly have to still work on that. Yeah. No, that's fine. And I think we're all still working on that. You know, I've said I wanted to try meditation for for years and I've just never taken the time, even though it would only take five minutes uh five minutes a day and and just creating the routine. But I think that sometimes just getting over the hump of of doing that, but finding your own ways to take care of yourself, like through, through singing for you or through, you know, for me, it's working out, for example. Um, but I think it's, you know, important to, to take time to sort of unwind yeah. a little bit. Absolutely. I just started um, swimming again. So. That's- oh, good for you. That's super <laughs> that's healthy. That's my attempt so far at self-care and that I'm about a month into it. So I'll let you know how it goes. Amazing. Um, one other thing I wanted to hit was, uh, you know, talking about money. And so you're an entrepreneur now, obviously, like, you know, you are running your own business. But when you were just getting started, you were making 17000 a year. You doubled that through your your tenacity. However, how did you, how did you like, what were some of the biggest money lessons you've learned early, early into your career that have carried into now? Um, I would say moving from company to company has actually helped um, my salary increases. So if I had stayed at ABC News, you know, for a really, really long time, I probably wouldn't have made as much money as um, I, I did just jumping from company to company. So I didn't jump every year, but it was like, you know, I don't know, th- three years here, four years there, you know, seven years there. Um, 
And so those leaps from company to company has helped um, in terms of the the increases. Amazing. And sort of to wrap up, tell us how we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So istand.tv is the network. And you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then um, futurenowmediafoundation.org is the nonprofit organization. And I'm always looking for um, speakers. I'm looking for volunteers. Uh, We're looking to engage with colleges and universities as well as um, students. So we want to hear from you. Great. Peggy, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me to be a part of your podcast. You got it. I loved our conversation. Thanks to Peggy. And I really appreciate her for all of her wise words, the hustle, the tenacity, the grit, thinking back to when she said that she wrote those letters to those organizations to get in the door. And she did, and she got noticed. And once she was in one of those organizations, she worked her way up and she really put in the work to get noticed, get experience, and to move up. So I really appreciate her sharing her wisdom for how to never stop being hungry to learn. So on that note, if you like this podcast, like, subscribe. I want to teach you and help you learn how to be better and how to get hired fast, be smart with money, and be a little happier and healthier. Email me at kickassinyourlife at gmail.com if I can help you in any way. And if you like this podcast, please recommend it, rate it, review it, share it. It helps others find it. Find me on Instagram at kickassin.life. Thanksgiving was just last week, and on that note, I wanted to share how thankful I am for you for giving this a listen. So go out there and kick ass in your life. Until next time.